Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Previously on IVFML. We've talked about periods. We've talked about semen. We've talked about sex. But now we're going to talk about the most vulgar thing of all. Cash money. After our second miscarriage, I was on a mission. I wanted to make sure I did everything in my power to never feel those feelings again. Or at least change something up so that we could have a different result than a miscarriage in the early first trimester. Yeah, like maybe aiming for a late first trimester miscarriage. Exactly. So when we had our big what-the-fuck meeting with our doctor after the second loss, she laid out our choices. Because Simon's sperm was so good, she could see us doing a third IUI. After all, we get pregnant every time we do one, and maybe those first two miscarriages were just flukes. Cruel, devastating flukes. On the other hand, if we didn't want to keep repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, there was in vitro fertilization, with the added safeguard of genetic screening, which helps us implant only embryos with a normal number of chromosomes. It was a tough choice, but... The name of the podcast is IVFML, so you know which way we went. Babies are hella expensive. According to a 2014 estimate from the USDA, raising a child from birth to 18 years old will cost an estimated $245,340. But if you need help getting that baby in the first place, fertility treatments can add tens of thousands of dollars to that bill, with no guarantee of a child in the end. Because most states don't require insurance companies to cover fertility treatments, that leaves a lot of couples shit out of luck when they try to create the family they want. I spoke to Candace Wall, author of the blog Our Misconception, to talk about how she raised the money to pay for IVF and surrogacy after her husband's brain tumor diagnosis and her uterine cancer diagnosis. Candace, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So you've been through the ringer when it comes to fertility treatments. Just to sum up, your husband had two brain surgeries for a tumor. You had five uterine surgeries, including a partial hysterectomy, for what eventually turned out to be the beginning stages of uterine cancer. And then together, you had six failed IUIs and six failed IVF transfers. How did you two even find the strength to keep going? <laughs> well, I, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a lot of lot of tears um, and, um, and and broke pockets um, from that. But I, I think it's one thing: is hell hath no fury like a woman who wants a child, and and that was that was me, and that was my husband, and you know I think it takes. It, it, to start in on this journey, it really took a very um, strong marriage and also uh, will. I think um, human will is one of the most powerful things, and, and we wanted to have a child. And so we, we went at it with full, reckless abandon. And once all of those procedures were done, what was the state of your bank account? I mean, just how bad was it? <laughs> I think it was quivering in a corner at some point. <laughs> you know, um, we... we we paid for the majority of everything out of pocket. And, you know, and I was one of the lucky ones. I actually had a very minimal amount of insurance, but I had some insurance. And even then, we were we were financially devastated. And my husband and I, you know, we we paid for college ourselves. We we had good jobs. We we were on the path. And and it's funny because all of 
all of our family and friends were like, oh, you have good jobs. This is, shouldn't be a this shouldn't be a problem or you guys are going to be just fine. But no, the devastation of reproductive treatment and the costs that are incurred for uh, medical coverage is outstanding. And we were victims of that. And it didn't help that we also had his brain tumor surgeries and and all that other stuff that kind of um, laid in the path before then. So what made you decide to start crowdfunding? Desperation. <laughs> no, actually, um, really, we had already uh, exhausted all of our um, finances out of pocket at that point. Um, we had already gone through six IUIs and six IVFs and um, at uh, a good $20,000 a pop for medication plus the procedure plus um, everything that goes goes around with that, um, it, we were at a point where we said, you know what, we want to build a family, but um, we need to find a way. And, you know, there's that whole it takes a village. You, you know, there's we decided, OK, people asked us, how can we help you? And that's when we decided to crowdfund. We um, we opened up uh, two different types of crowdfunding um, throughout our um, fundraising journey. And what did you do to raise the money? And how much did you raise? <laughs> I, I We pretty much did everything but uh, be a lady of the night. Um, I even contemplated that at some <laughs> point. <laughs> but um, but no, okay, so we, we did simple crowdfunding. I did um, uh, Crowd Kids was one. And then we did, of course, GoFundMe. And, uh, and then we went out in the community. We went to local businesses and we put out baby bottles and put our little story next to it. And if anybody wanted to drop change in that, they did. We uh, ran um, 5K races and and did um, larger races like Call Me Rad, and we um, would get a team together and they would donate uh, a small portion of all the registration fees uh, towards our family building fund, and uh, we built the race and, and we and we ran for our child there, and then we also um, did multiple. Uh, donation garage sales. So I uh, actually raised a fair amount of money through that and t-shirt sales. So pretty much we we did everything we possibly could in around. We probably raised a little over 20000 at that point. And what criticism did you encounter when you raised the money and how did you respond? <laughs> Everybody has an opinion. And and I think it's it's one of those things that um, it, if if you had a disease and you didn't have medical coverage for it, and you couldn't afford treatment for it, how, what would you do? And that's kind of how we looked at it. And, I mean, I had criticism from friends, family, strangers. You know, we have a blog, so, you know, it's, it, we're all out there with everything. So it's easy for people to have carte blanche at what they want to say when they're behind a keyboard. And, and I'm okay with that. I was fine with being called tacky. Um, that was one. Uh, tacky for trying to raise money for um, adoption at the time. So people called you tacky is... is- is that the extent of the criticism? Oh, no. I mean, it is. I remember having um, long conversations in, in multiple ones. If you can't afford to bring a child into this world, how can you afford to raise a child? Okay. All right. That, that, that's I can see how maybe somebody would say that. But I think that if you turn that question around on them and and ask them if, if they were to have gotten pregnant, can they afford child care, the hospital bills, and everything that they would have to incur with that child right up front as soon as that child was born? No. 
Um, it's something that you pay over time. It's something that you fit into your life. And that's the same way um, when you would have or build your family naturally. Whereas for a couple who is going through infertility, they have to come up with, you know, anywhere from fifteen to thirty thousand dollars right at the very beginning, not only for a chance, but it's not a guarantee. So uh, you're not guaranteed to have a placement with adoption. You're not guaranteed to bring home your child. You're not guaranteed to have a double line on a pregnancy. So there's the difference. And how did your fertility story end? Hmm. Well, um, we we were fundraising for our adoption pursuits and through the crowdfunding and through being very open about our journey, um, a child, a friend of a um, of a friend who had been a gestational carrier approached me um, on social media and said, if you're interested, I've been a gestational carrier before and I'll, I'll carry a child. And the rest was history. Um, we, we turned um, our decision from adoption to surrogacy because I had two remaining embryos left and uh, I had a broken uterus <laughs> missing at that point from a hysterectomy. So we, we thought, okay, this, is, this has to be our plan. I think we're going to go down this route. And um, we decided to go towards surrogacy. And um, now I have a very lively, wild, wonderful two-year-old. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you go about um, telling all of the donors that you had that you were going to change goals? We, we were very open about it. Um, I, I, I posted about it openly. And the good thing about crowdfunding is um, you can see who donates to you. So um, the majority of the people who donated to our crowdfunding, I actually um, sent them messages and said, hey, um, FYI, we we have decided to go down the route of surrogacy. You donated to our adoption fund. Um, I, I would be more than happy to, um, you know, give you that money back if, if that's how you feel, if you feel comfortable with that. And everybody said, no, we, we just want you to be a mother. We want you to have a family. And so that's how that began. On February 2nd, we showed up to the surgery clinic for our first ever egg extraction. I got the propofol and went to sleep. And when I woke up, I heard the happy news. Our doctor had instructed 10 beautiful, mature eggs. But there was a long, expensive journey to get to that moment. We're going to talk about what IVF is and also what it costs. And not like what it usually costs for most people. We're going to pull out our receipts and say, here's everything we paid cent by cent. All right, let's do it. First of all, in vitro literally means in glass. It's how you describe a process that's taking place in a petri dish and not inside a living organism. This is basically what IVF is. It's all about taking unfertilized eggs out of a woman, fertilizing them outside the body in a lab, and then sticking the now fertilized embryos back into the woman's body to implant and become a pregnancy. It's big league stuff. And the reason it's the most effective fertility treatment is because it really changes the numbers game. The first step in IVF is stimulating egg production. The rule of thumb in nature, I learned, is that mammals have about half as many babies as they have nipples. That makes a lot of sense. You can't have more babies than nipples or you got a serious baby knife fight on your hands. Now, Anna has two nipples, last time I checked, so she would normally produce one egg a month. 
But once we shove her full of IVF drugs, she's going to produce something more like 12 eggs, which in nature would be more appropriate for an animal like the tailless tenrack of Madagascar, which has 29 nipples. Anna is also going to use drugs to prevent ovulation, so that when she develops those 12 eggs, they don't actually leave the ovaries and head for the uterus. The doctor needs to keep the eggs pinned up in the ovaries so they can extract them later. The total cost for this medication is $1,121.33 after insurance. I injected those drugs into my abdomen for about 10 days, while an ultrasound tech monitored how many eggs were growing and checked my blood for hormone levels. Each ultrasound and blood test visit costs about $500, and I had three of them before surgery and two after surgery. The cost? $2,410. Then, when the time was right, I checked into the surgical clinic, $1,195, paid the anesthesia fee, $445, and then had a minor operation to extract my beautiful eggs. The doctor sticks a big needle through my vagina to reach my ovaries, and an ultrasound tech helps guide her in. $2,440. Each egg is extracted from the ovaries one at a time. Anna had 10 mature eggs, which means she got at least 10 needle punctures in her ovaries. At this point, an embryologist gets involved, and there's a $2,100 fee for handling the embryos. And then this is where Simon's sperm comes in. He does this thing into a cup, the sperm is then purified and concentrated, and then allowed to mix with the eggs that were just extracted from me. We also splurge for an assisted oocyte fertilization which cost $1,600 to fertilize the eggs. In about 24 hours, doctors will be able to see how many of Anna's eggs were fertilized to become embryos. We end up with five, which is not great, but still enough to give us a lot of options. Some women opt to have their embryos transferred back into their body almost immediately, in a process known as a fresh embryo transfer. But even though fresh sounds like a good thing, it's falling out of style because it has slightly lower success rates. Basically, giving a woman's body a couple of months to recover after all the drugs and chemicals makes the pregnancy more likely to work. Because of our history of miscarriages, we opted to get the five embryos tested to see if we could isolate the ones that have the best chance of turning into a real live person. Because we're fancy, we had them tested two different ways. First, we had an embryoscope, which costs $1,950 and takes time-lapse photos of the embryos as they grow, and it charts their progress against the platonic ideal of an embryo, the perfect embryo. We also had a biopsy done on the embryos, which cost $1,650, so we could do another process called pre-implantation genetic screening, which cost $3,950. For the biopsy and genetic screening, they basically scoop out some cells from the embryos and count all the chromosomes to see if they have a normal number. Most miscarriages happen due to some chromosomal issue, so the thinking goes that we should only implant the embryos that have a normal number of them to raise our chances of carrying to term. Or, as the clinic likes to call it, a take-home baby. This kind of testing takes weeks to come back, so our five embryos have to hang out in the freezer while we wait for the results. Storing them costs $1,800. I named all five embryos while we waited. Hamilton, Lafayette, Hercules, Angelica, and Eliza. As you can probably tell, we were kind of going through a Hamilton fixation. If everything goes well, we'll transfer the strongest normal embryo in a procedure called the frozen embryo transfer. I couldn't wait to be pregnant again. Why didn't we try this sooner? Because, in total, it cost us $21,161.33. Oh, right. (laughs) 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We talked about how much money we spent on the IVF cycle. So many credit card points. But thankfully, we had insurance with an infertility benefit. Thanks, AOL. So after we submitted our $21,000 in bills to the insurance company, we got back $5,000. What the fuck? Why did I thank AOL for that? Why didn't they cover all of it? Well, the health insurance company has a lot of weird rules about what they will or won't cover. They only cover the bare necessities of IVF and only the most traditional drugs, and even then they only pay a percentage. And, for example, they only want to pay for genetic embryo screening like we did if you've had three or more miscarriages. Oh my god, I don't have time for more miscarriages. At least not this year. Okay, so our IVF cycle cost us $16,000 out of pocket. But believe it or not, that actually makes us some of the lucky ones. Only 15 states in the U.S. have some kind of law in place requiring insurance companies to cover fertility treatments, and that doesn't necessarily mean they have to cover IVF. Here to talk more about the state of fertility treatment coverage in the U.S. is Barbara Kalora, president and CEO of Resolve, the National Infertility Association. Barbara, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So, Barbara, if you're not living in one of these 15 states that mandate some level of fertility coverage, what does this mean? Well, first of all, of those 15 states, only eight of those 15 actually have a mandate that says employers have to cover IVF. So the other seven states um, are really not mandates. They're they're something a little bit different, but um, they don't provide really any coverage for people. So if you don't live in one of those eight states, you uh, rely on a couple things. One is your employer. Is your employer a large company? Maybe they're self-insured and they have voluntarily decided to offer IVF coverage. Um, but if you're self-insured or self-employed or you work for a smaller employer, you are probably out of luck and you're going to be paying out of pocket for really all of your IVF diagnosis and treatment. And how much does one cycle of IVF diagnosis and treatment typically cost before adding any additional luxury features? Yeah, well, this is a number that's really hard to come by. There hasn't really been any good surveys done um, recently. So the numbers I'm going to give you are complete estimates. Um, you know, you, we see IVF cycles costing 10000 We see some costing closer to 20000 You know they have to take medications. So depending on um, the types of medications and how much you're having to get. And then you mentioned that luxury add-ons. Those sometimes can be um, another um, several thousand dollars on top of your IVF cycle. So we generally tell people about $15,000 on average. 
Oh, that is a ton of money. Um, so let's say you're a couple who's infertile, and you know that the clock is ticking on whatever remaining time you have left to harvest egg or sperm or make embryos. Does Resolve keep track of how many couples come up with this cash when they need it? So you've got so many different things going on there. You've got a time, like you said, time is ticking. You've got a diagnosis that came out of the blue. You probably had no idea that you were going to have any problems conceiving. And this isn't like one of those things that you save up for. You know, you're you're thinking about, okay, maybe, you know, well, I'll go to college and your family or somebody's saving up for that. Or maybe you're saving up for a house or maybe you're saving up for a car. But doing IVF is not something anybody plans for or saves up for. So you're hit with this diagnosis. You're hit with a recommendation to do IVF from a doctor. And then you're told this is what it's going to cost. Some clinics have some financing programs. So we always recommend sit down with the clinic first and ask all the questions about what kind of financing programs they have. They might even have relationships with some of these companies that provide loans specifically for IVF. That might be a way to, um, to get some cash in hand. Um, you might talk to the clinic about what kind of financing plan they might have. Maybe you can pay it over a certain number of months. But a lot of clinics do have um, something called a shared risk program where you might be able to um, purchase a certain number of IVF cycles and you actually might even get your money back if you don't have a baby. And so, again, you want to sit down and ask all of those questions because you don't you don't really know going into this what all those options might be. Um, there are a few organizations, foundations, they're mostly family foundations that have um, some grant programs. And so you have to apply for those and they're on a different cycle um, every year and you apply and you might get accepted and then they give you a cash grant um, to help cover some of your costs. Those might help a few people every year. All of the grant programs in the country probably help about 40 to 50 people a year. So it's really... That's not very much. Yeah. Well, you know, they do great work, but, you know, let's be honest, this is a lot of money and these are small little foundations. And so they, they might feel really, really great about giving out five grants a year, which is phenomenal. But that's, you know, that's $50,000 that they're having to raise. And so, again, this is the problem with this particular diagnosis is that you don't know you're going to have it and you have no way to save up and plan for it. And like you said, then you've got um, time against you. So we um, we believe that about 50% of people who are told that IVF is the way for them never actually access IVF because of finances. And so people do all sorts of things to come up with this cash. You know, now with all these crowdfunding sites and even people's Facebook pages, you're seeing a lot more people being open about trying to raise money themselves. And so this is the old, you know, bake sale, but taken to the internet. And that's been really interesting to see the growth of that and how people are responding to um, helping, you know, their friend or a colleague or, you know, a family member by giving them some cash and seeing if they can scrape together enough money to do an IVF cycle. Why do you think that this current state of fertility coverage is what's normalized in the United States? I mean, I know that these other countries that I'm about to mention have a nationalized healthcare system, but in England, 
women who meet a certain criteria are eligible for funding for up to three IVF cycles. And I know at least one province in Canada also offers government-funded IVF. Of course, I don't, I'm not saying that I see the U.S. government funding fertility treatments anytime soon, but why is this kind of paltry coverage considered the norm for American health insurance providers? Yeah, well, I mean, you're asking me and I'm scratching my head too, because it doesn't make any sense to us who are in this space. Um, you know, I said it's a medical diagnosis. It's medical treatment. Why in the world, if my um, digestive system doesn't work, if my um, you know, lungs, if my lung system doesn't work, um, guess what? All of that's covered. But for some reason, reproduction in this country is like so taboo. So my reproductive system doesn't work or the male's reproductive system doesn't work. I guess that we don't value that. We don't value the ability to, um, have a family and guess I don't know, maybe maybe people don't realize that IVF has now been around for over 30 years. This is not experimental. Um, one out of every 100 babies born in the United States is from IVF. So this is, this is here to stay. So why aren't we viewing this as medically necessary? Tell me more about Resolve's advocacy around this issue, both activating um, the payers, as you mentioned, but also just the general population about these issues or even the infertile population. If um, you look at Resolve's history, we our history had primarily been around the area of getting some of those insurance mandates that we talked about. And so we did a lot of the advocacy work at the ground level in those states where they have those IVF mandates. And that really for years, that was how um, organizations like Resolve went after getting insurance coverage. So getting those state mandates was sort of the, the way of, of, of kind of getting coverage. However, if you have a state mandate, it doesn't cover all employers. So it only covers a certain kind of company that's getting their insurance a certain way. And as it turns out, now we are in 2016, um, over 50%, almost 65, 70% of people are employed by companies who are outside of those state mandates. So going after mandates will help some people, but it's going to leave a lot of people out in the cold. So Resolve has, has taken a look at this and said, okay, what else could we be doing? And we've done a really good job on the advocacy front legislatively. So we thought, how can we use that same sort of mentality of like grassroots advocacy, but turn it around to an employer. So instead of advocating to a state legislator or to your member of Congress, how can you advocate within your company to your HR department? So we launched a program this year that equips people with tools and resources and data that they can use to take to their HR department and say, hey, I work here. This is important to me. I love us to get coverage. And guess what? Those HR departments and those employers have the power to make those decisions. It has nothing to do with the insurance company. They actually go to the insurance company and say, this is what we want to offer to our employees. And oh, by the way, IVF coverage is really important to our employees. We want to add it. We are looking at, are there opportunities where um, we can add a state mandate? New York State is the big one we're working on right now. And then we're looking at how to actually meet with and talk to insurers. So Resolve is organizing a meeting with insurance companies as well um, 
on this this very topic. So we're trying to hit it on a lot of different fronts. If anyone wants to learn more about this issue, where can they go for more information? Resolve's website is, of course, I'm biased, um, is a great resource for um, a lot of reasons, but it's resolve.org. And um, it's a great place for um, policymakers, for the media, certainly for employers. We have a whole section for employers. And, um, and then obviously, anybody who's dealing with this, this is the biggest message I have for people is, you look, if you want to see change happen in the infertility space, you got to speak up. I'm sorry, I can't do it all. But when I look at breast cancer and I look at mental health issues, I look at AIDS, I look at the movement that um, those diseases have had, it's because of activism. It's not because some rich, wealthy person took care of everything and everyone else benefited. It's from people who were experiencing those conditions, those diseases, who were fed up and who spoke up and who made a difference. Um, you know, if you've had anybody who's gone through breast cancer, they have the benefit of, of if you have a mastectomy, of having reconstructive surgery, and that's paid for. And if you've known anyone who's gone through this like I have, it's very expensive. It's very complicated. It's not one procedure. And that is completely covered by insurance, and I am so glad it is. But the reason it's covered is because patients spoke up and demanded it. And so we need to do that in the infertility space. We've been quiet and silent too long. Now they can't ignore us. So that's my biggest message. About three weeks after our first IVF round, we got the final fertility report. Of the 10 mature eggs they extracted, six of them were fertilized and became embryos. Of those six, five turned into blastocysts, which is the stage we needed to reach for genetic testing. Of those five, only one of them tested properly and was chromosomally normal. This is horrible. This is a devastating result. At our young age, those ratios should be reversed. We should have made like four normal embryos and one dud. This was a punch in the dick, if you'll excuse my language. One healthy embryo is not as good as it sounds. Having one healthy embryo does not mean we now get to have one healthy baby. It's not like we were bummed because we didn't get to pick between a boy and a girl. At every step of the process, these embryos can be accidentally destroyed. Some won't even make it through defrosting. So the odds for a successful embryo transfer, the odds of just getting pregnant, not carrying a pregnancy to term, is less than 50-50 for each embryo. So you really want to have multiple healthy embryos to have one take-home baby. Trying to be more optimistic for a second, there is another way to look at this result. If you think about it, the two miscarriages I had, plus the four abnormal embryos we made, means that without IVF and genetic testing, I would have had to have about six miscarriages for every one normal embryo we made. So even though this result really sucked, it probably saved us a lot of heartache by saving us from four more miscarriages. That's true, but it didn't feel like a great victory. It felt like we spent $21,000 for the opportunity to spend thousands more implanting a coin flip embryo. So now we had a choice to make. We could either go ahead and implant little Hercules, or we could try to do a second round of IVF and try to gather more embryos to improve our odds so that we wouldn't have just one shot. We decided to do the second round. It made sense. We felt like if we implanted the one embryo and failed to get pregnant, we were going to be too emotionally exhausted to try again. 
The worst part about it is that I had to wait two months for my body to calm down before doing another round of egg extractions. I also had to come to terms with the fact that 2016 would now be our third year without a baby. I realized that I'd been dreaming of celebrating this Christmas with our first child. After we made the decision to try IVF again, I cried alone in my car. It was really hard. But if that wasn't enough, the next IVF round was going to be a lot more complicated, because we kind of left something out. There was one more issue the doctor told us about after the tests were done. The IVF procedure had revealed a new problem that no one had suspected before. When they put Simon's sperm in with the embryos, nothing happened. They had to pick up individual sperm by the scruff of their neck and inject them into the eggs one by one in order to get them to fertilize. For the first time in this process, we realized that maybe I wasn't the problem. Maybe there was something wrong with Simon's sperm. Fuck. Next week on IVFML, male factor infertility. On the one hand, I was crushed. But on the other hand, I was like, finally, there's something wrong with Simon. Finally, it's someone else's fault. Let him deal with this shit for a while. I wanted to crawl into a hole and die. Yeah, you took it rough. I could actually watch the smoke rising from my testicles during the surgery. You've been listening to IVFML, a HuffPost podcast. IVFML is written and hosted by Anna Almendrala and Simon Gans, and produced and edited by Nick Offenberg. Artwork by Isabella Carapella. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, leave a rating, or send an email to IVFML. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. At HuffPost.com.